the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Hello. Hi. Do you have Esther Perel's yeah. game on you at all? Probably. No, it's at home. <laughs> Do you want to ask some personal questions? Well, no, I thought we would do that. I mean, she's doing that now. She's promoting her game. So she's walking up to random people on the street. She's like, let's we've got something to talk about, whatever it is. Oh, whatever that's the really funny. Is. Where should we begin? Right? That's the name of it. Where should we begin? I've actually had a couple of clients lately uh, who have been skirting the edge of divorce um, and haven't wanted to do it. <clears throat> Uh, and have steered away from it. Um, and then others who uh, are going for amicable situations. So that's really nice. Um, I was talking with a guy a couple months back who, when we met, he was like, absolutely. He's like, divorce is going to happen. We were preparing for it. Like, we had a whole plan for when he actually delivered the news in the event that, like, he was going to get locked out of the house. And, like, we had just totally worked out every single step. And then all of a sudden, it was like, he got everything that he had wanted that would have prevented him from going through the divorce. And he just backed off. How did he get slowly. that? Did he, did he ask for it? Or he was she... very, dire very direct and very honest in what he asked for. And I think, you know, his partner was thinking, this really means something and this is serious and gave him what he wanted. And he was, and it was, I mean, it was really like, it's why I do What's like, look, you have to buy a three-month package, but you have to cut it off after, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't want to do it, you can cut it off at any time. That's okay. But, you know, he was, yeah. Um, and, and, it, and like, as soon as that happened, it was like a slow decline in, you know, in terms of what help he really needed. Like, I saw him through it, but um, it was a complete reversal. It was like a total 180. That's interesting. I have an interesting topic we can talk about. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm just curious, how long ago did you end with that client and have you had follow-up? Like, has his marriage worked out? No, I think now would be around the right time to follow up because it's been several months. <laughs> hey, just checking in if you need me again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you sure? <laughs> how are things going? <laughs> I'm so curious. <laughs> I had a client like that once who was so sure. I mean, they were going through a divorce. He had hired a lawyer, paid a retainer, paid, they both had counsel. It was starting to be really messy. And he was so convinced that he was one time relaying this conversation he had with the lawyer. And the lawyer said, if you get back together, and he was like, we will not be getting back together. And then like a week later, they were back together. <laughs> so <laughs> never know. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's, I think it's great. I just think it doesn't, the problems don't go away. So it, you know, whatever problems existed need to be dealt with and, you know, often they can be dealt with, but you just need to make sure you're setting yourself up for success and not People just will often do delaying. whatever they have to do to get out of a difficult situation, right? They'll say whatever they need to say or do whatever they need to do. And as soon as the difficulty is passed, they go back to their old ways. It's like an anxious thing, right? It's got to be. Well, the urgency is gone, right? So when yeah. we, we're the fear 
of losing, which kind of segues into what I wanted to talk about. So um, I'm sure you're familiar, you've heard of different attachment styles. Yes. One of the mental yes. health TikTok crazes that everybody's yes. super into. And there's a couple of big names in the mental health relationship world. Esther Perel is one. The Gottmans are another. You may have heard of you know, the Four Horsemen. And then Stan Tatkin is also a pretty big one. And he has something called the Pact Institute. And mm. he has kind of developed this theory that's based a lot on um, neuroscience and attachment. And I really like his approach because he simplifies things very much. He's got a couple of very interesting books. And so I've been reading one of his books called Wired for Love. He also has Wired for Dating. He's got a couple mm -hmm. different and um, this uh, Wired series. <laughs> and he categorizes the different attachments mostly as um, an anchor, which is stable, secure, a wave, and an island. So islands are the avoidant type of attachment style where it's kind of as the name suggests an islands unto themselves they have a fear of losing their independence they need a lot of space they don't like to be interfered with or pressured or if they feel claustrophobic waves are more of those anxious type who really need that relationship sometimes come across as codependent um it's, it's been really interesting to read the book so often when i do relationship work or you know especially divorce work it's like half one ear is a pre professional ear like you know what are the skills that i can learn as a therapist and then the other ear is personal because you know i've also have relationships that's kind of I, that's why i feel like i've missed the boat i mean i know i didn't miss the boat but like feel like had i gone the therapist route i'd be much better off in terms of like just my own self-awareness of things because i'd be thinking about those and have a much more structural you know like idea of how i'm made up and I wonder, like, can you do combinations of those attachment styles? Can someone be like an island and a wave or a wave and a, what was the third one? Uh, it's wave and anchor. an island are, are they right. like insecure types. So anchors right. is the stable one. There's, right. those, those are few and far between. Okay, I see. <laughs> those are harder to come across because it means you had a really, really, really stable, secure, loving, nurturing childhood, which, you know, not all of us have had. Um, and so the wiring happens when, when you don't really get your emotional needs met in childhood. And then you, you develop one of these two styles. And yeah, so it, do it's you just think been interesting. That, that raises a question for me about something that I've thought about a lot. Do you think you parent based on the deficits that you received as a child? That is to say that like... For sure. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, you know, like I say to my kids all the time, I was like, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I find myself like saying a lot, a lot, like all the time. And I, I think my parents are really good parents. They were great, right? They did as best as they could. I've taken, you know, my time in therapy to realize that, right? That, that they did the best what they could with the resources that they had and being the human beings that they were, right? Uh, and yet I still don't feel like I got enough of that, like, love and pride stuff coming my way. So that's why I say it enough, like, so much to my kids is because I feel like they need that. Now, of course, that may not be accurate at all because what they may need is something completely different from what I need. And what I may be doing in that moment is reparenting myself. Do you think that's yeah. true? I <laughs> do think do that's my own true. Psychotherapy here. <laughs> yeah, I, I know with me, I've gone, and I think this tends to happen to a lot, that we go to the opposite 
extreme. So if we didn't get something growing up, so I had a lot of structure and rigidity and rules and regulations. Right. Um, sure. right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm quite a lenient, um, you know, not that many rules type of parent, which I think I've, I think I could, my kids could probably use a little <laughs> bit more than I offer. And so, and I think, you know, we tend to do that, like based off of what we didn't get, we try and give our kids a lot of that or none of what we got because we don't want that and then go to the opposite end of the extreme. Um, yeah, but but one thing that I, I have learned and I integrate, <laughs> hearing people's stories is a very frightening experience because you start to realize that as a parent, you're pretty screwed. There is no way to win, especially if you have multiple kids. They have multiple pers- they have di- multiple personalities. They, they, have di- <laughs> they have different personalities. They have different needs. They need to be related to in different ways. And it's really hard, especially as a single parent, to get all their needs met. And I see when people come into therapy and we start talking about, you know, their childhood or some of the core wounds, and sometimes they're so seemingly insignificant. You know, it seems like a stupid story or a stupid memory. And yet it has really been the catalyst for this avalanche of of emotional deficits. And sitting there as a parent, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like the tiniest things. And we think, we know we're doing the best we can. So we think our kids know that. They're like, for sure, our yeah. kids, can see that we're doing the best that we can and they're forgiving and they just see all the good and our good intentions, but that's totally not the case. And there's been a little bit of freedom in this realization that no matter what I do, I will screw up my kids somehow. I cannot get it right a hundred percent. And so to me, the most important thing is just Keep the lines of communication open with my kids. Know that I love them and they are lovable no matter what. And that when they inevitably have their issues and their gripes with me, we can try and figure out a way to work through it. That's my plan of action. Mark Mark Ruffalo says, if you're not yelling at your kids, you're not spending enough time with them. I thought that was really (laughs) funny to hear. (laughs) I yell at my kids and I'm thinking it's must be because I'm spending a lot of time with them. That's what this is about. We need some space. That's very, but yeah, and you do, it's inevitable that you're going, because you are spending time with them and you are, you know, trying to impact them in some way. And that will inevitably come out because you are human and that's just what happens. And, you know, it goes back to that hurt people, hurt people thing. And you know, unfortunately, your kids are the targets of that or the recipients of that some of the time. And yeah. Um, but I think as divorced parents with shared custody, not everybody has that. Right. While there's a lot of pain in not having access to my kids 100% of their childhood, the advantage of it is I have a refresh yeah. button. <laughs> yeah. I There's times when I'm not with them. And that is, you know, I, I have the hardest time remembering what it's like to have my kids a hundred percent of it. I see other people who are married with the kids. I'm like, you have your kids all the time. <laughs> that seems crazy. That doesn't seem natural. When do you get a moment's pause? It's so funny. It's been hitting me. That's been hitting me really weird lately because it's like when I do have them, there are times where I'm like, Oh my God, why are you guys here? 
Like, I wish you were someplace else. Like, no kidding. It's been like getting me down at times because it's just a natural feeling and I don't want to judge myself for it. But when they've been here, I'm like, why are you guys here? Just like go somewhere else. Come on. And then when they're not here, then I also have like the feelings of missing them really badly. And I'm like, yeah. it's these weird swings. I don't know where they're coming from. Uh, but I wish I can you just like followed a little bit more logical. I, 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 oh, I can relate to that. And I'm sure other people relate to that. It's the grass is always greener. And I found initially that that switch was so hard to make. It was like, I have total freedom for a weekend. My time is my own. I get to decide what to do when I want to do it. And then in an instant, my kids are back and my time doesn't belong to me. And it's all of a sudden I'm mom again. And it's, That's what it is. it's you know, like, it's like pulled me out of a, out of some time warp. I don't know. And it, it's a really hard transition to make so quickly. You know, you talked about the whole stories thing before and things that we think are really insignificant actually really matter to people. I brought up, this is a funny story. I brought up when I was first going through all this inner work and reflection and whatnot, um, even it was like in the months prior to the divorce, um, but even like with the divorce, um, I, like I had this moment where I was like, I need to talk to my parents about this because I want to know, like, do they recall it and, you know, what it was like for them and whatnot. So I told them and I described it almost in like perfect detail as far as I could remember, which of course was totally vivid and clear. And I laid it all out for them. My mother wrote back, she's like, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> she had no idea what I was talking about. And in my mind, it was like, everyone was there. The whole family was there. And I was center room and I let them have it. And I said everything that was on my mind. I really let them know. And I laid into them, blah, blah, blah. And I did this. And I remember exactly how old I was. She's like, I got no clue about what you're talking about. So it's not like she remembered it differently. No, she just didn't she remember no this idea. memory. Oh, that's no funny. idea. So like, I'm like betting on all the ones that my kids are like remembering or not remembering. It, it, our memories and actually Stan Tatkin, this guy this wired for love. He writes about it because he's very into neuroscience that our memories are the least accountable Thing you can imagine we cannot rely on our memories at all and we we experience and we hold on to things in a way that somehow like fits a story or fits a narrative that makes sense to us but so often we misrepresent how we see things and it actually happened with me and I saw it happen with my daughter and I had a friend over a male friend who came for lunch and uh -uh. When we left, we hugged goodbye. When he left, we hugged mm -hmm. goodbye. And then my daughter told my other kids that I kissed him goodbye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that did not happen. And no matter what I said to her, I cannot convince her out of this reality. And it was this, this moment of, wow, you know, we connect. Maybe she felt uncomfortable by the hug. And then something in her mind connected this feeling and it, got translated and stored as me kissing some guy in front of her. Right. And that is now her memory of it. Right. And it was such a vivid example of how this happens. Of As a child, we see something or experience something and encode it in a way that's really not true. And then so much is based on that. We're just like yep. creating our own realities based on misrepresentations of things. Awesome. No wonder yep. this world is so fucked up. Yep. And <sighs> that's why I give up.
<laughs> That's your new philosophy, just giving up? I give up. <laughs> I'm in Hungary giving up, everyone. I'm just going to go dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> uh, oh, nothing makes you, sense. Nothing is real. Let me ask you a parenting slash psychologist question. My nine-year-old still sleeps in my bed. Like, he'll let me go to sleep by myself, but every night he can, he's in there. And he's, like, right on top of me. You're talking about attachment styles. Let's come back to that for a second. Okay. Like, what is this? And he was sleeping in the bed before the divorce, and now he's sleeping in the bed after the divorce. Nine-year-old. So, again, remember that I've taken a very different approach than my parents. Yeah. I have a memory of being locked out of my parents' room yeah. and screaming and crying and then getting locked into my bedroom, which is at the source of a lot of issues that I have. So I... I have, my youngest was like that also. She came to my bed a lot. And um, I just kept thinking of the future. I'm like, I know that at a certain point, this will stop. I know that at 15, she's not going to still be coming to my bed. And I think there's a lot to gain of, of, of a child feeling like they have somewhere to go and they're welcome in their parents' bed. And, you know, my big concern was, what if at some point I'm in a relationship and then this has to stop, but it didn't happen when she was that young. So it wasn't an issue. And I kind of let it just happen until it got phased out. But I, I think that there is value to it. I, I'm I not denying that there's value to it. I'm wondering if there's something unhealthy about it. Like, and I, and I, look, I get what you're saying in terms of like different rules and all that and leniency. And there's something about the closeness of it. I, I'm totally there with you. I'm wondering when it does get to the debilitating point of being like attached all the time and can't leave home, right? If if he will get to that point of being 15 and being like, nah, dad, forget it. And maybe I just can't see that now anymore. But what if it spills into a, because this is like, he has like given inclination as to like how he wants to stay close. Like even if he goes to college, he'll still live at home as things that he said. Uh, and so- <laughs> Well, how does he do with actual separating things? Like the first day of camp or the first day of school does he you know, like, I think it's pretty well typical. You're, you're right. Like, I think it's pretty typical. He will be apprehensive at first. He'll be curious about it. I know really what's going on, a little nervous. But then he'll go in. And as far as I can recall, I don't have any particular, like, you know, like, strong memories of him having a difficult problem separating for those things. Last year, he went to sleepaway camp for the first time. And he went for two weeks or something like that. And Oh, then you're fine. If he went to yeah, sleepaway camp. Yeah, no, no, he did camp. fine. But so, like, I'm just yeah. wondering if it's still something. I think that it's looking at the other areas. So if he was coming into your bed every night and every day going to school was a nightmare I mean, and he right. refused to go to camp and refused to do those things, then there's probably an attachment thing you need to get looked at. But so is it right now it's his body heat. Okay. Yeah. Or, I mean, and also, is he having nightmares? Is it is it after the divorce? Is it like a stability, safety thing that he's craving? You know, what's at the core of it? Oh, man. I don't... Uh... I don't know. It's so funny the way kids carry that stuff around. I don't think he is because I think I would have seen other things. Like I've heard that stress and anxiety manifest as stomach pain in kids and they don't necessarily know how to process it. But he seems to be doing fine in that way. I don't think he's doing anything that really stands out. Um, is it new post-divorce or he was coming to your bed before also? That's what I mean. He was coming to my bed before. 
and I okay. and I was just wondering. I mean, like, not and not that I blame her, but like, she's engaged, so she's got a you know, a, she's living with a guy, and of course they're sleeping in one bed. So he's he Elijah can't do that anymore, right? Um, and so I thought maybe it was a result of that, like her, him not being able to do it there has increased it over here. Fine, um, but I was just yeah wondering if it if it's going to get to a point where it's inappropriate or debilitating, and and yeah, maybe there are other signs that are all positive. Just should be the guide in that way. Yeah. And maybe a conversation with him of, you know, I love snuggling I with you, but let me like, what's going on? Do you, like what, what happens in the middle of the night that you, that you feel the need to come to my bed? I know he really likes caring for me. Like it's, it's funny. Um, I never would have expected this either, but I was doing a, um, uh, I was having an early meeting one time with people on the East Coast and I got up to make them breakfast, but wasn't, you know, there for them to actually get up and get dressed and everything like that. So there's this big gap in the morning routine. And I came out and he had cut up apples and laid out fruit for me, which is what I usually like. Um, and we were recently in New Jersey and my mother did some food shopping and he went with her. and He was like, let's get fruit for dad and all that stuff, pointing out the things that I enjoy eating. Um, so it's That's really interesting so sweet. to see that. It is very sweet. And I just wonder, like, what's he doing? What's he seeing? Like, and is he seeing something that like I need and he realizes that I'm not getting. And so therefore he's acting in that way. Cause my yeah. eldest doesn't do that. Like he could be like, <laughs> I don't give a shit about what's going on with you. Let me play my fucking iPad. But my youngest <laughs> is like, what's going on with dad? Yeah. I mean, everything in life has a duality. You could look at it from a positive or a negative side to it. So sounds like he has some people pleasing tendencies. And at the same time, he is nurturing and he's attuned to you. Yeah, and that's so for sure. He's looking out for you. That's for sure. That's, that's nice. You can send, I, I can use some cut up fruit in the morning. You can send him over. <laughs> <laughs> you want it? Okay. None of my kids do that. <laughs> I was really impressed. But he's also the one that has the most difficult time accepting that the divorce is like final and concrete. He'll always ask a question or say something about it. So I think a lot when of it is still adjusting. When is his mom getting remarried? October, I believe. Oh, in a while. Yeah. Okay. So he's got some time to adjust. Well, maybe that's too. Maybe he's, yeah. Maybe still adjusting to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. But I do recommend this book. And for anyone listening to get a sense of what your attachment style is, and this is just an easier way of understanding it, this anchor island wave, um, because very often waves are attracted to islands and oh, that have makes a hard a lot time. Of sense. Yep. <laughs> and have a hard time understanding the behavior because it's so different but they work really well together, quote unquote, like kind of each fills the other need in a positive and negative way. And it's similar to the concept of love languages, of understanding that people do things differently, expect things differently, show up differently, love differently. And so I think it's just one another puzzle piece in figuring out what's my style? What am I attracted to? What works well? What can I improve? Have you heard of Harville Hendricks and Imago? Sure. It's good stuff. Because I read that book, Getting the Love That You Want. It was really good. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Oh, this is something we should talk about. There was a great article, um, Elaine de Botan, 
I've mentioned this before, I think, but it was expanded, getting the love that, uh, no, um, why you will marry the wrong person. This was phenomenal. Yeah. I read this on the plane back from Jersey. It's like 65 really brief pages. It's amazing. You can get it on Amazon, why you will marry the wrong person. And it's funny. And it just lays out, you know how we've talked about the generational shifts in marriage, one being for um, a, a marriage of wealth. Um, and then there's like now there's like a marriage for reason, right? Which is our parents' generation out of love, right? Yeah. And his whole argument is like marriage out of real compatibility, um, and like be and like having just like all this information at our fingertips. It's a fantastic article. Um, well, I will read it, and then we can do a podcast on it. We there's one quote. Here's what stands out in my mind. I've been trying to put something out about it, but he says, um, "Then the idea that we that." The, the idea that we are not too difficult to live with should set off alarm bells. The only people we don't know very well or the only people we consider normal are those we don't know very well. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you've got a great memory right. for quotes. What? You've got a great memory for quotes. I can never that remember. That one really stood out and I'm still like wrapping my head around it. And he's right. Right. I probably am really yeah. difficult to live with if I really thought about it and how much do I really know about myself? Because I think I'm pretty darn normal. Yep. Stan Tatkin, <laughs> I feel like I'm fangirling here, has a similar concept that we're we're all just animals. <laughs> we're all terrible, difficult people. Um, yeah, so same concept. I'm a bear. Ugh. Hibernate a lot. Leave my food all over the place. <laughs> Growl. Well, right, I recommend friends. reading yeah. Wired for Love, and I'm going to check out um, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person, the written version. We can meet back to discuss. Really and good. I highly recommend, if you're listening, to do some research and figure out more about what your attachment style is and how it showed up in your marriage, your divorce, new relationships. It's really helpful information. Excellent. And I recommend Getting the Love That You Want by Har Harville Hendricks. Fantastic I think book. we need to do one book recommendation at a time. We're going to inundate people. That's a good idea. <laughs> You're right. I retract by One at a time. Or it's going to gonna look like my bedside table where I just pile up books and hope that I osmose the information while I'm sleeping. I've done that I think before. it works. <laughs> All right, friends. You can find us on social media at The Jewish Divorce Project on Instagram and on Facebook. And we email us. Website. Yes. JewishDivorceProject.com and our email is the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com where we are happy to hear questions, comments, suggestions that we could use for other podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Okay. All right, friends. Bye. Mm -hmm.